it's Fulhamish Podcast. My name's Sammy James. This is your regular audio tonic that has accompanied you through this roller coaster Fulham season. Thank you for downloading tonight's episode. This is our end of season review. Very sad indeed. All great blockbusters, though, must come to an end. But just like many a Hollywood hit, there's also a much anticipated and probably slightly disappointing sequel just round the corner. <laughs> uh, on tonight's show, it's the full Fulhamish lineup. We've never had all five of us in the studio before until tonight. So joining me is Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. Don Betts. Hello, hello. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Ben Jarman, of course. Good evening. I'm so happy Dom's back. We're all looking very different in the studio tonight, from Farrell in his suit to Dom, who just looks like he's uh, come off a little cycling adventure around, uh, around the Cotswolds or something. Yeah, I did the good long run from Oxford Circus down here, so, you know, tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got loads to get through. In fact, we're probably going to split this podcast into two parts that we've got so much to get through. Uh, we're going to have a general end-of-season chinwag. We've got a reaction to the playoff final, uh, all of the early transfer rumours, a silly season gets underway. Uh, we're going to have our season overview, so we're going to go this through the season from the start to the very, very sad end uh, and we've got lots of different little clips to play and all our reaction. We'll just kind of work through it chronologically and give our thoughts at each point that we had during the season. Uh, then we've got the big fat Fulhamish quiz of the year. Uh, we're each going to have two questions and we'll see how who comes out on top. Almost definitely going to be Farrell, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see if the odds are upset today. Uh, and then we will announce the Fulhamish end of season awards. Uh, loads and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you have been voting in the Fulhamish end of season awards. Uh, it's the one the players really want to win. Forget the, the official. The one. big one. Forget the official player of the season. They all want the Fulhamish player of the season. That's that's where the uh, accolade really lies. That's the the trophy. We couldn't fit the trophy through the door. Should we actually send a trophy? Yeah, let's I think do we it. should. Yeah. That's the real clout we have in today's day and age. If someone can meet TC because they sent him three pounds, we can meet him because we sent him a trophy. I'm going to find him in Dubai and give him it on Saturday. There we go. We'll get him a trophy. Uh, so let's get underway then. Uh, probably best to start uh, with the events on Monday. Not Fulham, uh, of course, but fairly connected to Fulham. It was the dullest uh, playoff final in history between Reading and Huddersfield at Wembley. Obviously, it uh, should have been a great day out for all of us on Bank Holiday Monday. Instead, uh, I don't know what you guys were doing. I was hanging out with my uh, girlfriend's grandparents. A very Bank Holiday Monday uh, thing to be doing. I was driving back from the New Forest after camping there the whole bank holiday weekend. I saw your Instagram story. You were blocked by horses, weren't you? I was. I was hanging out on my tree, so it was probably a good thing that I didn't have to go to Wembley. Hanging out on my tree. (laughs) Don Betts, what were you doing bank holiday Monday I was in central London, unfortunately, so I saw so many Huddersfield and Reading fans that I just wanted to kill myself, pretty much. But, um, yeah, so... Apart from that, after they all like fucked off, basically, um, it was quite an enjoyable day until the game started. Uh, and Farrell Monk, what were you doing Bank Holiday Monday instead uh, of uh, being at the playoff final? I was on the south coast uh, visiting my girlfriend's mum, and that's as exciting as it was, but I was also hanging out a different tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very jovial atmosphere in the studio tonight. In fact, we're not in a studio, we're in like, some sort of weird yellow tables meeting room. Uh, we've all got beers on the go, we've all got craft beers uh, from Beer52, our uh, amazing sponsor, and you should definitely go buy a crate of their beer now. Jack but- can get a bit weird from here on out, even more weird than normal. Well, actually, me and Dom are actually on Budweiser's because neither of us have any sort of fondness for craft beer. But if that is your thing, Beer 52, place to be, I've heard. I'm yeah, drinking... We're the classy ones, man. Yeah, classy exactly, ones. the real ones. I'm drinking a lovely Calypso dry-hopped Berliner Weisse. Do you know what any of that means? Absolutely no idea, but it's tasty. <laughs> it's kind of got a cloudy look. 
Mine, mine comes with uh, instructions on the front. It says, freshest hops and drink now. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, pull, pull the can down, <laughs> tip, tip it towards your mouth and drink. Uh, ben Jarman, what? I've got a five points XPA. A juicy tropical extra pale ale dry hopped with citra and galaxy hops. 4% ABB. What, what do you think that's really ex- made of? What? What do you think that's really made of? Beer. Ganja. <laughs> <laughs> what does the X stand for in XPA? Extra pale ale. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Xenophobic pale ale. <laughs> we don't like Indian pale ale. or British Tim ones. <laughs> Tim Farron's special yeah, brew. Brexit means pale ale breakfast. <laughs> well, if you fancy some of these uh, craft beers, make sure you head to beer52.com. Use the code Fulham. You get £10 off your first order. Great Father's Day present. I'm being genuinely serious here. Mm. If you need a good Father's Day present, I think it's about £14. You get a brilliant crate of beer and you won't have had them before. You heard it here first, beer52.com. Right, on with the playoff final. Uh, Rennie v Huddersfield, uh, a fairly boring game, but we were very happy with the outcome. Well, yeah, I think all of us wanted to see someone brand new up in the Premier League, and all of us detested Reading going up um, simply for the fact that they put us out, they goaded us, and the only thing uh, I think Dom's going to say is they've got the worst away ground in the whole world. So They do. Like I'd rather Reading gone up from a personal level just so I don't have to ever go back to that place ever again. But other than that... Yeah, um, no, if, if I look at the football fan in me, obviously I wanted Huddersfield to win. They haven't been in the league, what, since like the 70s, mm-hmm. I want to say. And yeah, apart from having to go to Majeski again next season, it's a good day all round, that was. It wasn't a great advert, though, for championship football, Jack. I know, one of the worst games of all time ever, though they had the added bonus of watching Danny Williams crying on the pitch at the end. One of my favourite scenes I've ever had on a television set. There's so many people with their profile avatars on Twitter of Danny Williams crying on the pitch, and it is beautiful to see. Um, and uh, quite ironic, Farrell, that it was penalties that decided it. After Reading got so lucky with scoring so many rebounds all season, they come up stuck when they finally couldn't use rebounds. Yeah, I know. And even any one of those penalties that they, do, that they did miss, was there two or three of them that they missed, uh, didn't actually rebound to a place that they could actually bump it in from. But, yeah, we're all glad that... Um, Reading didn't go up. I was still a bit torn as to who was going to go up prior to the match. And as the match went on, I was going, hmm, I definitely don't want Reading to go up here. So I'm really pleased for for Huddersfield. Um, Just like a word on it that no one should ever go to um, an away game in the home counties and take three or four hours to get home. I think That's we literally did this last time. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> joking. I think we had this exact conversation. I mean, saying that, I didn't go home from the away leg in the play after five in the morning. You're a legend, man. Legend, man. I mean, that, that wasn't that. that was, <laughs> did you walk home? <laughs> I said, I got to central London and just sort of went for each You got home to London. You didn't, it wasn't <laughs> getting like <laughs> the no, point making. We got to London, what, like, I don't know, yeah. like 11? And then, yeah, got back to mine at five. So. Can we make a point from the journalist in me that, you know, the last penalty taker for Huddersfield, Christopher Schindler... He really missed an opportunity by not just chipping the ball down the middle so that we could all go on with the headline, Schindler's lift. Like, as in, like, majorly. As in, really missed an opportunity. And Bet365 tried to, like, capitalise on it. And they wrote, Schindler's list, dot, dot. Score a £170 million penalty. Tick. It's like, oh. get Huddersfield into the Premier League. Tick. I was like, nah, you're all right, mate. Oh, I bet the most relieved person would be Izzy Brown. Um, yeah, he missed when he the absolute sitter, wow. didn't he? I, I watched that three or four times, thinking, surely that looks harder than it actually is, and it, it's not. It is. It, it comes in real fast, and he can't see it. Not in super slow mo. 
Aite had the same sort of chance in the second leg against Reading from the, either a cross or a corner, and he put it wide as well. Not that easy. Not that easy, but yeah. I'm just astounded that Huddersfield managed to get up because they had a minus two goal difference and didn't score a goal over all playoffs. three yeah. playoff matches. That's unbelievable. That's an absolute scene that David Wagner's brought them up without them scoring a goal. That is in such the amazing shithousery. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm <laughs> well pleased. Well, we were saying that we've been saying this in the lead up to the playoffs that the two best footballing teams, and if you had in the neutral perspective, the, the two teams you wanted to get to the playoff final, which were Wednesday and Fulham, didn't get to the final, and it ended up with a crap final surprise surprise I saw a magical tweet that was like in another dimension Fulham have just gone 4-3 up after a 34 pass move with Ryan Sessegnon (laughs) tapping it over I thought that would be amazing and that would be exactly what happened to us if we did get to the final it was there's no way we'd have won it like 3-0 it would have been tense and nail biting and a, a very much high score and final I reckon if we got there so it means now that the championship lineup is confirmed uh, for next season. In fact, the entire Football League pyramid is pretty much um, confirmed now. So the teams going up from the championship, Newcastle, Brighton and Huddersfield, the, two, the three teams coming down, Sunderland, Hull City and Middlesbrough as well. Uh, and then going down to League One was Blackburn, Wigan, Wigan and Rotherham. Rotherham. And then coming up, I think it was Sheffield United, Bolton and Millwall. Yep, yep. Correct. Correct. Very northern heavy uh, league next year. I would say that there's chance for two weekends away in Newcastle now that Sunderland and Middlesbrough are going down. Which is the dream, like the small dream. <laughs> for some of us, I hate Sunderland as much as Dom hates Reading. Why? It's, they're just a horrible football club. I just wish they'd cease to exist. I don't know why. I just hate them. Yeah, but you get to go to Newcastle. I don't care. To be fair, the amount of good away days we've <laughs> actually lost from this season is a joke. We've lost Brighton. We've lost no New- Wigan. We've, yeah, we lost Brighton, we lost Newcastle, we lost Huddersfield, we've lost Wigan and we lost Rotherham. And then we get, what, Bolton, hate it every single time Sheffield I've gone. Sheffield United's a good one. Yeah, Sheffield United's the only good one, really. Popwell times and, two this year. Yeah, unless we get Hull on a midweek again, that'll be amazing. Because last time we had Hull midweek, which was last time in the championship, that was a very, very good away game. I'm going to shout out both the old northeast grounds. I think that both of them are reasonably fun away days. And Middlesbrough have a bar that does VK fish bowls, so that's well, what you need. There we are. As if you were about to leave that out. That's every football fan's dream right there. <laughs> Do they sell hooch? Of course they sell hooch. <laughs> Sold. Uh, so, silly season kind of underway, really, with regards to transfers. Um, one of the rumours that I wasn't really expecting to hear, and I'm still not 100% sure on the validity of it all, uh, but doing the rounds quite a lot last night was uh, Jordan Hugill uh, of Preston. Scored uh, double figures for Preston last season. That's a very low-scoring side as well, so he got a fair whack of all their goals uh, linked with us. It would certainly be a decent backup option if, if he arrived, but... Yeah, you can't be 100% sure of the truthness of it. Yeah, but the source came from basically Thomas Rosinski. It was just some random Polish football journalist who everyone assumed was like this major in-the-know person. He just just one person tweeted it, I'm pretty sure. Thomas, Thomas Rosinski was definitely Canadian. He's right? Canadian. <laughs> he had a Polish sounding name. Tim Farron over here. Oh, but like, I just, it, is, it, is, it has come from one guy. But to be fair, we spoke about Jordan Hugel for... A while, actually. Back in January, we said he would be a really great addition to the squad, um, something we feel like would propel us forward. And with a manager like Jukanovic, um, sort of like developing him as a player, you can see him coming on leaps and bounds. He's only 24, I think. But there's another guy at Preston who I think we all want a little bit more than him. Bart Kaisen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Jack, very sad news for you uh, in the released players list. Uh, probably not 
too many tears shed about Jack Grimmer what? and no, Lionel no, no, Cole. No, no. Jack Grimmer, I was sad about. Jack Grimmer sent a really nice message. We retweeted it on the podcast uh, feed. He sent a really like heartfelt message to Fulham, and I was like, "Oh, hello, Jack. Yeah. That's nice." I spoke to him the last three pre seasons. <laughs> He's a very nice guy. Yeah. I mean, I was more getting to the point that I know, I know what you're getting to. I'm trying to avoid it. <laughs> right, well, Lionel Cole has gone. <laughs> He's like, I came in like a mm. Lionel Cole. <laughs> <laughs> has anyone found him yet? Yeah, he, he was at Inverness Cali Thistle. Fuck off, was he? <laughs> yeah, he was. How long before Matty Briggs rocks up at Motherwell, like we all said he would? Well, we, he got released ago. by Colchester, so Did it's he? available. It's a possibility. Seems. Jack, Ryan Tunnicliffe, it's a sad day for you. Yeah, it's dark, it's dark. But he'll be picked up by you know a, a mid-table championship club, by all accounts, and he'll almost certainly go on and do you know in, important bits for them. So, you know, fair play to him if he wants to go out and... You know, get first team football. I can understand that. It's sad for me. I thought he was a future Fulham captain, if I'm honest. But I, um, you know, I can understand TC, his decision. I can understand his decision to to move on. So you know, such is life. Such is Jukanovic. Such is life. It was obviously Tunnicliffe's decision. What? It was obviously Tunnicliffe's decision. Well, he's obviously had a chat with the gaffer. <laughs> like he's obviously said, gaffer, I want to play. And uh, he's obviously gone to Wigan and done done fair bits there. They liked him up there. He seemed to he seemed to do well there. I can see him being picked up by a Sheffield United or, you know, one of those sides that's going to come up and I think will probably just achieve mid table status. And I think that it wouldn't be a bad move for him for that to happen. When I used to see him on the on the first team sheet, um, I wasn't disappointed to see him there. At the time that we were, I mean, it would be quite odd that we would see him this year if he broke into the first team, but. Last year, I thought he was excellent, especially around the October-November time, and then sort of fell by the wayside a little, a little bit. And he's certainly a driving force, and he's still quite young. He's yeah. not; he's certainly not reached his peak yet. So they're certainly developing um, touches for him. Um, I wish him all the luck. I think he's. I think he puts all his effort in, and I think he does bring a lot to a team. He was a good servant, and I think you know. No, there are a lot of clubs that would be lucky to have Ryan Tunnicliffe in their midfield and, and that's not me being sentimental. I think that he really does add something at championship level. I don't think he's good enough, you know, to play in the Premier League, you know, much as I, I like the man. That is in uh, on a you know, straight honest level. I think he was a very good, honest, hard working servant for, and he would be for any football club and I think that for people that put the kind of, you know, effort in with him, he, he seems to, you know, reciprocate that and, and be a real kind of dynamic sort of midfielder that, you know, runs up and down for 90 minutes and, you know, who can forget that kind of, he hadn't scored a goal for Fulham and he squared it for McCormack to get his hat-trick against Middlesbrough for us to win that game and, you know, very much the kind of player he is, a very selfless kind of player who, who puts in the hard yards and, and does does a job and I think that he'll he'll go on and do well at this level in the game. If if he had a, a showreel, as if like footballers have a showreel, they'll probably just replay that Goal against Bristol City over and over again. St- a stunning right back performance against Middlesbrough in the cup as well. Yeah, oh. that was genuinely one of my questions in the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky. <laughs> Find a new one. Um, and then the rumour that's clearly going to haunt us for the entire summer. I was almost at loathe to have to mention it. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon already starting to pick up traction. Uh, Liverpool and Spurs uh, seem to be the two clubs mentioned the most. Spurs uh, with an alarming amount of frequency. Uh, So much so that the Anfield rap got in contact with us uh, to ask us about uh, said Ryan Sessignon. I was at pains to maybe agree to go on there and talk about Ryan Sessignon in the case that we were like bigging him up too much and uh, doing a job of selling him. I don't know to who because I'm sure Jurgen Klopp isn't getting his transfer advice from the rap but... 
Yeah, it's going to be one that's there all season, but you just hope that Cess kind of has his head screwed on and hopefully he decides to stay. We, we all hope that. I've, I don't want to sound like a, a transfer rumour being like, oh, my mum's dog's found, you know, Ryan Sessegnon said, will you stay at Fulham? And he said no, but... After the Reading playoff final, um, I stayed a little bit later and me and a mate watched him come out on the ground and the, everyone was asking him, will you stay? And he was really reluctant to say that he'd signed a, any pre-contract or any contract whatsoever. Um, he didn't really look like he was very bothered about everyone saying, can you stay or, or whether he was or not. But obviously we hope he does. But I think the important point to note is that if he does leave, then we're going to get a huge amount of money for him. And, you know, it's only going to benefit us in the long term. Um, and we spoke about this before, and we'll say it again, but if we manage to sell someone for our academy for a, for a massive profit, then that's a huge win for us. And we've got another set coming through anyway, so... Yeah, yeah I've heard his brother's yeah. better. Yeah, he's sick. Get him instead. Well, um, I mean, if you're going to sell him, I think we would get... Everyone's saying 20 plus. I don't think you're going to get 20 plus. I said 15, but... If Fulham sell him now for 15 million, there's going to be a good sell-on clause in that. Fulham aren't going to leave it with like a 5% sell-on clause. I reckon they'd put in maybe a 10% sell-on clause in that. Yeah. You've got to put the trust in uh, the people at the top to negotiate that kind of deal. I mean, he is an asset of ours, and I think that's the biggest thing that the club sees. But at the end of the... You know, when you boil it down just to pure footballing stuff, this guy isn't our first choice. He's not a first guy on the team sheet. He's not the be-all or end-all. I mean... Let's put aside the fact that he's an amazing talent, and I think he's he will become a really good, you know, top ten Premier League player, um, without a shadow of a doubt. But it won't be a disaster if we lose him. I don't want him to leave personally, but he might become a first teamer next year. But at the moment, he's not a first teamer, and therefore we've and we've had really good success, you know with him in the squad rather than in the first team. There are numerous players that I'd be more concerned about leaving than Ryan Sessegnon. Yeah, the midfield trio for, for three already there, Yeah, in my opinion. I, th- I feel like if, if buying a 17-year-old is incredibly high risk, regardless of who you are and how much money you've got, there's any chance that Sessegnon could turn out to be as good as John Bostock was when he moved to, to Spurs from Palace. and like He was meant to be the ne- next best thing and, and never turned out to be anything more than a, a Belgian second division player. Like there, there is that huge risk. So I think maybe we'd see him for one more season. And like to slightly counter your point, Fazza, like he did come on the team sheet a little bit more towards the end of the year, especially in a more forward sort of like left mid, left wing role. And I think he really grew into that. And I think he gave well, us another I think, dimension. I think a good point to make is there's other players in the team who not who are basically more irreplaceable than mm. Ryan Sessegnon, like. I don't think you you can replace Sessegnon in the squad a lot easier than you can with like Kevin McDonald, let's say, mm-hmm. or make, or or Stephanie Hansen, because there may be players in the league who've got the same ability as Stephanie Hansen, but can they play the same role with the same ability? Where when it came to Ryan, when it came to Ryan Sessegnon, I think there are plenty of players in division who we can sign who are actually better than him at this time. I think yeah. it's the one thing we're gambling on is his potential, and that's what we see. If we didn't know, if say for example we didn't know how old he was, how old he was in the entire team, you'd kind of go, well, he's a really good squad player for someone who can play left back and left wing, and can score goals, and he's really um, attack minded, and he can he can play with the ball quite well and whatnot. Then you go, yeah, brilliant. But you know, it's the fact that we do know that he's only seven, well, only just turned seventeen. Um, that we're kind of seeing that potential value and do do the people at Liverpool and Spurs actually see that potential as well? 
Possibly, but we don't know. At the end of the day, this also could very much just be transfer rumours, absolutely nothing in it. It's, it was inevitable that they were going to start flying about almost as soon as the final whistle was blown at the end of the season. Yeah, 100%. It always does. It always happens that when you know a player plays well they get linked with moves away you know and not always and especially a young player yeah 100% and you know it look what happens you know Pat Roberts has gone off and then he did half a season where he did absolutely nothing and then he had a decent half season at Celtic you know last year and then this year he came on leaps and bounds and was you know showed the kind of glimpses of what he was like at youth level at a senior level which is obviously important but it took that time and he's in you know not quite the same kind of level of league to be discussing, you know, if he's not going to go back to Man City this summer, then is he going to be sold? Because, yes, he's done really well for Celtic and, he's, you know, he's been a really, really good player there. And some of the goals he scored this season are absolutely sensational. If you haven't kept an eye on Pat Roberts, then it's very, very much worth going and, and seeing the goals he scored this year because he has been absolutely sensational. And we saw his kind of worth, if anyone watched the Scottish Cup final at the weekend, we saw his worth in the last 15, 20 minutes against Aberdeen where he was just taking on players for fun and just beating man after man after man, sometimes too many. And, you know, we saw that at youth level again. He, he often does one man too many. But... He's come on to that level which we saw him at, at now at a senior level, but still in a weakened league. And we're talking, you know, two years after we sold him for £12 million. And he's still probably not at a level where he'd be setting anything less than, anything higher than the championship on fire. And so we've sold him and he's now doing the bits which we'd want him to be doing at Fulham, but can, no more. And so I think it's important to remember that we've gained £12 million out of that deal and we haven't necessarily lost anything yet. You know, we, we will do when he cuts better and better, and he will get better and better. But at this point, we're two years on, and we haven't really lost a player that's better. He's no better now than Ayute or, or Cabano is. Yeah, and we, I, I think that without actually asking the question, um, although I will ask the question, we wouldn't begrudge <laughs> Sessegnon leaving, would we? If it goes to somewhere like Liverpool or Spurs or Man City or whatever, would we? I'd just be a bit disappointed with his decision for himself almost to go at this stage because I don't think it's the right move this season. I think even next season or the season after, I'd go, all right, fair play. You can't, you can't deny ambition. Like You see at the moment Riyad Mahrez and he said, I want to leave Leicester. Yeah. And actually, you look at the comments on the BBC article, which is normally a pretty toxic place, and actually nearly every comment was, was going... Fair play, Riyad. You you stayed another season. Can't deny can't deny someone ambition. If you want to go play at the top level, that's clearly not you're clearly not going to fulfil that at Leicester. And that's the kind of similar feeling I have with Sess at the moment. Just like don't go now, don't go now. I think you make a mistake now, not just for Fulham but also for yourself. A couple of seasons down the line, even maybe next summer, especially if we don't get promoted again, I'd be at low to deny him that opportunity the one that kind of the one that the one that kind of um screams out to me that's kind of similar is um gareth barry do you remember that season he was linked with liverpool yeah that time and uh, was david o was david o'leary the manager at the time yeah, villa yeah. yeah yeah and he said look don't don't leave now don't leave now just stay another season we'll do really well and they did okay that season and then he ended up going to to Man City. Man City yeah. um, so I think if you're good enough, the opportunities will still come. But it's obviously hard to see when you are 17 years old. When will your next opportunity come along? The only thing in Cessignon's kind of defence in that kind of aspect is that Bale went to Spurs at 17, maybe 18. Um, and 
was originally a squad player there and then moved mm. through the ranks and they obviously saw the potential in him and brought him through as that kind of player and you know Bale's the one that everyone keeps likening Cessna on to I don't think that personally that's how he's going to develop as a player but you know that's the one that keeps getting touted so you know let's address it mm. and even then you look at Walcott Oxlade-Chamberlain two that have gone yeah but that's what I mean if he went to Spurs yeah they have a track record of bringing those kind of players through and, and bringing you know youth players into the setup and especially under Pochettino who I've I think he's a wonderful manager and a wonderful coach um, to be able to, you know, go and do those things under that kind of setup. I wouldn't begrudge him at all. No, I do. I do have to say that um, I do. I do agree with that. That he would be in a perfect place to, for, you know, bring players through and whatnot. But for every sort of Bale, Deli Ali, there are five or six of them that don't make it. Chris Gunner. We... <laughs> he, he, he moved to Spurs around the same time Gareth Bale did. He did and... yeah. Now he's John Bostock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John I mean, Joe Shelby was he was he was moved for a lot of money from Charlton, and I mean he has he has formed a very good career for himself. You know, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's the it's the same kind of thing. We only remember these guys because they are now doing it. We don't remember that you know John Bostock is a few and far between the one that we can actually recall the name of. Mm-hmm. Michael Johnson at Man City, albeit he didn't move. Uh, and that was also partially his fault. <laughs> his his love of injuries and kebabs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my that's my problem. Well, let's move on from the transfer rumours and get started with this season overview. Now, it's been a pretty memorable season. I think none of you would would deny that. Right from uh, the first match right through to the last, it's been, I'd say, probably up there the top two or three memorable seasons this this side of the millennium. Would I be? I put it third for me in this. In this, well, actually, and I guess promotion season, Europa season. I'd say this season we finished seventh. We're better than this season. Okay, and then so so if it's not if it's not third, it's fourth. It's in the top five. So it's been a pretty memorable season. So what I thought is we'd go back uh, right from the start through to the end uh, and just kind of map out the look back, reminisce uh, what happened. So uh, we'll start off. Uh, with our very first match. Smith! That's the impact they're looking for! Could he be the man to fill the void? Newcastle in big trouble in every sense. It all started off back in August. It was a balmy Friday evening, the first game of the championship season. It was quite a shame, actually, that Fulham didn't start and end the EFL season. I thought that would be quite nice if we got to the championship playoff final. Uh, And it was a great victory. It really... put the, our marker out as to our ambitions this season and an unlikely goal scorer Matt Smith we kind of maybe thought does this mean that Matt Smith's going to have a run in the side all season didn't turn out that way uh, was that one of our only goals from a corner this year right in the first game I can maybe think of Kevin McDonald yeah, yeah. Kevin McDonald got one and um, Sigurdsson got one against Ipswich mm. and it was when Tom Kearney took a corner which should have happened all season I tell you it was one of, the, one of the frustrating things Whenever I brought up a mate to a game or I was watching a game on TV or whatever it was, and for a team so attacking and how many set pieces we would win in and around the box and the amount of corners that we would get, that the few goals that we actually scored from corners, I would love to see some sort of statistics about how few goals we got from corners. But yeah, it was, it was a match that really set our ambitions. We are top of the league, Seb. We are top of the league. <laughs> <laughs> it was seen. And to be fair, the... the the match itself was actually at times quite hair raising. Like at times we were very much on the ropes, and Newcastle were coming at us, especially with 
um, Ayose Perez, who played a pretty good game out on the right wing, I think he was. And, and I'm really confusingly, they played Gale out on the left wing as well. Like, did, they, no, did Gale play? I thought Gale was injured. No, Gale no. did play and he played out on Gale the left played, wing. He didn't, he was... Yeah, Gale was out on the left-hand side, I'm pretty sure, because um, I went with one of my good mates and we discussed how he should have been playing through the middle and we would have been absolutely torn a new one. But what they tried to do is they tried to have Perez and Gale come in behind our full-backs and then go obviously straight down into Button. But like, for, for the most part, we were, in, we were incredibly solid and that's when it really stood out to me how good Callas could have been for us, or is going to be for us. And well, it was a Callas and Maddle partnership, wasn't it? It was, yeah. game. And Callas won everything in the air that day. Um, anything that came up to him, anything on the ground, his distribution was perfect. Him and Maddle looked like a brilliant centre-back pairing. And I, never did we think at that point, when that was in the infancy of the, fo- of the pod, never did we think that Tim Ream and Callas would end up as a partnership at the end of the year based on, obviously, the season before and that, that game itself. Um, but we played some brilliant football and it was clear that something was going to happen. We just didn't know it would be to this magnitude. It kick-started what was a fantastic August and... Also, uh, Huddersfield uh, were up there at the top of the league with us uh, by the end of August as well. Actually, Newcastle and Brighton started a bit slowly, but it would be great next season if we can get off to a fast start again. But unlike this year, maintain it. Yeah, definitely. I think it was important that we, we got off to that start, especially with the kind of the amount of negativity that was being thrown at us from the press and a lot of people saying that we were you know, going to get relegated or, or be close to those zones. I think it was important for us to get a fast start because it made us believe in ourselves as, more than, you know, as much as anything else. And it, it made the fans go, oh, actually, maybe we're not going to be in for another relegation scrap. Maybe we're building something here. Maybe something's actually come good. And I think that was as crucial as anything else. You know, the, first, the atmosphere that night in Newcastle was, was excellent. And I don't think anyone was quite expecting that to happen. I think most of us were going there hoping, you know, we might get a point and, you know, it, that would be good and it'd be nice for us to get, you know, a, to halt Newcastle in their tracks. And I remember the Fulham account tweeting afterwards, welcome to the championship at Newcastle yeah. <laughs> and being like, maybe a little bit premature, but, uh, you know, but one of those things that we were like, oh, okay, you know, these teams are here to be, you know, to be played and to be beaten. And I think we all thought that, you know, we weren't even that brilliant that night, you know, attacking-wise. We were excellent defensively and we scored We scored a goal from our corner. We were more stoked than Barcelona that night. <laughs> and uh, it's funny how, how things changed over the course of the year. But at the same time, it gave us the confidence to think that we, you know, had something in us for 2016-17 and it wasn't going to be a case of same old, same old. So we had the um, friendly just beforehand against Palace and I was like, wow, look how open and expansive and attacking we are. And we can open up Premier League teams for fun. This could be quite a good year. And then we went to the Newcastle game. And although Fulham won, I thought, wow, we were quite defensive and very compact and didn't give them much room. And, they, you know, we weren't giving them much, much um, joy in the uh, final third of the pitch. And I thought, hmm, maybe we're going to hang on and, you know, comfortably finish mid-table, grinding out results here and there. And it it was it was it was kind of weird that even though we won the game, it really was no indication of how we were going to play for the rest of the season. It was almost as if the friendly was, but not the actual league position, not the league game. Exactly. And then we took on August. We had a very good run, uh, but went into September and things really started uh, to go wrong. The wheels started to come off our good form, culminating 
and this horror show. Can any of you identify that clip? It's the missed penalty against QPR, isn't it? Exactly, one of the two missed penalties. Uh, that one that was the Sonia Luco one. Uh, and really at that point, uh, we'd really struggled in games against Burton and Albion. We just scraped a point in that game, lost at home to Birmingham City, mm. got thrashed by Bristol City, who ended up just avoiding relegation to League One this year, uh, and then culminating in one of the worst QPR sides I've ever seen, uh, coming to Craven Cottage and literally daylight robbing three points from us it was it was a worrying time because it felt at that after that game oh no here we go again we went we went through august completely unbeaten um and then it looked like as soon as we'd lost that game to birmingham which they probably shouldn't have won um obviously with donaldson missing that penalty as well it, it felt like like you said the, the wind had come out of the sails a little bit we'd really struggled over the month of september and we were talking about it in the pod that August was such a, a brilliant month for us and it gave us a real platform to go on and do something really, really, really inspiring in the Championship. And September just sort of wrote it all off again. It felt like we went back to square one. It felt like, we, like Farrell said about that, that opening game, it felt like we were going to end up mid-table grinding out results and not, not playing particularly scintillating football. It felt like we were way too open. Um, and, and if teams were just going to sit back against us, we didn't even have a second... Uh, like a plan B. Uh, but we went on uh, following those games. Uh, it was a very important 4-2 win at Barnsley. Uh, I actually listened back to that podcast, a little bit of that podcast uh, the other day uh, as I was trying to get some clips for today's show and uh, quite interesting hearing Dom uh, say how he missed pretty much every goal. No, I only missed three. Out of the four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I nearly missed five. Five? Oh, right. So when, when, when we scored our first, I was on my way down to get a pint. But then we scored, so I stayed for a bit. And then when I went down, I think that's when they went 2-1 up. Then I missed... The t- I only missed two goals, actually. Because I, I just about caught Malone's uh, goal early in the second half. I saw him hit it, then I started walking upstairs, and I turned behind it, and it just sort of floated into the back <laughs> of the net. It was a very important win, though, that one, because Barnsley were a good side at that point, And it was a good away victory up north, but we don't tend to do... Well, we didn't tend to do very well in the previous two seasons and maybe gave us a little bit of belief after the wretched September and then that awful QPR result. A huge turning point there uh, in that we, it was the first time we played Johansson in that uh, second midfield role. Is it? That was the first game that he played in that sort of deep role. He came on in the QPR game, but it was uh, the first time he played there. He actually played there with Scott Parker rather than Kevin McDonald, who for some reason was out of the matchday squad, I can only assume injury. Um, but Johansson played behind Kearney with Parker next to him, and Piazon on the left and Luca on the right for the first time. And it, it, was, it was something that didn't last actually very long. It changed again uh, very shortly after that. Um, we, we came home after that and beat Huddersfield 5-0, um, I'm sure we're going to discuss, but then we went away to Villa and it went back to what it had been before and it all went wrong again. And thus, it was one of those moments where Jukanovic must have thought, oh, OK, hang on, that worked against Barnsley. That's something we can play on and, and something that has benefited us for the rest of the season. It was interesting that actually, you think now, I could name Fulham's starting eleven pretty much definitely. Obviously, there's a few, especially up front, there's actually just a, bit, a few too many options. Like, do you pick Iite? Do you pick a Luca? Do you pick Gabano? Do you pick Kearney? But... Th- yes. Interesting that 
for those first two months, Slav didn't know his best side. Didn't have a clue. I think we we spoke about that at the time, and that, I remember that pretty vividly. That we were sitting around scratching our heads, going, "What is our best side?" And I'm sure Slavica thought that as well. And we weren't in the best position. The fact that it did take us a good couple of months to actually figure out what our best team was, and that probably made it so that we didn't we actually finished sixth instead of first, second, or third, pretty much. You I mean, must you have had... about a ten minute long montage of me saying. Play Kearney in the middle. Stop playing him out wide. Yeah. And then when that happened, well, Jack had really the article he wrote on our midfield pivot, yeah. and because that that's, that was what I don't, that's why I think well. we weren't that not clinical, or maybe weren't that good of a side in the in that September because we didn't know what our, as we said our best team was, but especially in the midfield we didn't know we didn't have that th- three who we knew would be playing every single game of McDonald with Johansson ahead of him and then Kearney just behind the striker. Like we'll start, I think in the game, as I know it's going back to August, but the game in September, Kearney was on the right, Luca was in behind Matt Smith. So, yeah, I think once we decided, oh, this is actually our midfield three, which will be playing exceptionally well and for all of our games for the rest of the season, that's when we start performing well. So I think it just, as you said, took a while for Slav and Fulham to realise what their best 11 actually was. Well, this is when I think it really started to click this season, this magic moment. Aite's up as well, it's Kenny. It's Fulham's three points! Dominant in the first half. They've toiled at times in the second, but it's a victory to cherish at the home of their rivals. Brentford away, amazing, amazing night. Uh, I remember being very upset I couldn't get a ticket that evening. Can you remember the campaign? Uh, the campaign to get Sammy a ticket, yeah. get Sammy a ticket, which didn't work out in the end. That was one where it seemed like Fulham have arrived here. We'd just beaten Reading... 5-0 as well and then we went away to our local rivals where we'd struggled to get a result uh, ever since we came down from the championship and, and we had that game at the end of last season which was almost like the nadir uh, of Fulham's recent times and to go back there six months later and put in such a great performance admittedly we were a little bit lucky actually to come away with three points because Brentford had a real big spell of dominance but we came through that with an amazing away victory and, and again we were building, weren't we? Just building result after result, and you could see that this team was growing in confidence. Another huge moment for big Dave Button, who made two or three absolutely unbelievable stops that day. Um, not okay, unbelievable is maybe a, a tad strong, as in they were they were good stops. They were, they were very good stops, and considering the time and the pressure of the situation, uh, we were very grateful. And he he came off to a, to an ovation of one David Button, which was nice, considering. The last end of a game at Brentford was everyone being screamed out saying, you're not fit to wear the shirt. Um, it, w- it was a nice change. And I remember that was fireworks night. And uh, there was the Manor were playing at um, Brixton Academy, or no, Coco Camden. And I had a ticket for that as well. And I was like, am I going to go to Brentford again? I've been to Griffin Park every time. I've been down there since since we came down. And it, it's always ended up in, in a bloodbath, basically. Um, We've discussed before about how my aunt is Brentford, and uh, we have there's there's something there. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's made the decision was like right, we're gonna do it. It's Brentford, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go again, and it, it paid off, and it was just an, an absolutely wonderful night. I remember being at, carried about twenty feet along the stand when we scored that goal, and um, when Kenny finished that, and I was genuinely chatting to a fr- family friend of mine behind us at the time. And then suddenly I was 20 feet away from him and, and didn't see him again. And that was that. So but a, a really remarkable night for us to go there and, and, and do it and dominate completely for the first half, which was important, I think, for us. I think this is 
the podcast where we really sat down and said we have an identity now we know how we want to play it and now we want to know now we know who our first team is and now we really understand what Jukanovic is trying to do with this team and the style of football we want to play and I think we went quite in depth on the tactics on this one as well because um, Brentford do a really good job of making a really tiny pitch feel absolutely massive um, and so I think we 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 analysed the fullbacks quite hard in this game and um, I think they stood out quite a lot and mainly because they kept their, their very tricky wingers quiet. Um, we've done a really good job in the middle of the park for the most part as well and it was clear to see that on this occasion, as as with Newcastle, we could defend as well as attack and we were moving through the transitions incredibly well um, and obviously that goal at the end um, to seal it um, typified that as good as any. Uh, and TC was really starting to get on fire at this point in the season uh, and by far and away my goal of the season was this Perla, you might recognise it. Well, Johansson with a left foot pulls it back to Tom Kearney, edge of the box, oh what a goal, 3-1, that's a Paul's goal special. Yeah, magic goal uh, from TC. Uh, what I particularly love is the video um, where they're filming it from the home end and to a man, pretty much the entire Wolves end clapped Tom Kearney's goal because it was just absolutely magic. Steph Joe to the edge of the box, pinged in from 25 yards. And I think at this point we started to realise how special Tom Kearney could and can be. I was more thinking, why are we winning at Wolves? <laughs> to be honest, because whenever I've been there, apart from the FA Cup game, and now every league game I've been there, we've just been not torn apart but we've never played well there and we obviously everyone knows it ended up being in in my opinion anyway the game this season finishing good 4-4 but um yeah it, amazing goal it's it as a sort of individual piece of play it was probably one of the best it was the best goal of the season it wasn't my best goal of the season overall but yeah it was just watching that I was like what has actually just happened there was everything in that game yeah it was it was a pretty mental game I remember watching it with you Sammy and um we had no idea what to think all the way through it, apart from... I mean, it, the only time it felt reasonably comfortable was Fulham going 3-1 up and then... But then you still said we need a fourth, otherwise we're not... If they get yeah. one back, this is going to be 3-3. I'm pretty sure I said those exact words as well. And it it was a completely mental game. And even just apart, apart from those eight goals, there was probably another ten chances each for either side. And we moved into a bit of a mixed Christmas, really. Uh, ben, you went away, I know, to Portman Road on Boxing Day, uh, which was by far and away the highlight of, of Fulham's festive campaign. Yeah, it really was. It was, uh, it was quite a patchy performance, I'd say, from Fulham, but at the same time quite assured because we showed our tactical flexibility to overcome an Ipswich side who are traditionally very compact and at that time would draw specialists. I think they'd had about three or four before we had got down to Portman Road um, to take them on, on on a freezing cold boxing day. But obviously the best thing I remember about that game was, was the chant about Sonia Luco and his massive you-know-what. So um, I don't know, I guess um, it really drove home to me how we can actually, as the current team is, we can grind out results. Um, and we did that on boxing day and then we did it again um, a few days later back at home. But going back to the Ipswich game, I think I don't see I've seen the opposite team play worse. I've got a few mates who are Ipswich fans. They're like, "Yeah, Mick has to go," mm. because Mick McCarthy is usually one who will grind you out results. I mean, he finished with them in what seventh place like two years before, yeah. and there's not many differences in the side apart from they lost the likes of Tyrone Mings and Daryl Murphy. Yeah. 
But, but yeah, it was... Big it, players it, in yeah. Mm. yeah, but yeah, moving back to Fulham, I guess it was our only good, not good result, but our only clinical result of the Christmas period. Well, it started to get a little bit inconsistent in and around January. Uh, there was the terrible away day experience at Reading where we only saw uh, 45 minutes of football after Don't the talk about it. It brings back all the memories. Sorry. Uh, but a good, a good away day... Uh, but maybe not the best result. Uh, it's a dangerous ball up. dealt with by uh, Hall. Fighting by Kenny! A touched in! And it's Chris Martin! Who has come up with the goods for Fulham! And of course, this is after the entire Chris Martin debacle uh, that kicked off really uh, late December. It was actually the night of the Reading game uh, that we found out about the Chris Martin gate. Uh, Crexit, uh, as we like to call <laughs> it on the podcast at the time. Uh, and this was maybe the... The return of Chris Martin trying to get back almost into Fulham's good books never quite worked out. Uh, at that point, the point at QPR, though, um, did seem like a bad result at the time. And we were maybe thinking, I don't know if Fulham have got the bottle to make the playoffs. We were kind of lurking around that ninth, tenth position. We just didn't seem to have the metal to get the run of results needed to break into the top six. I don't know. I, I feel quite differently to you. I, I had the pleasure of standing next to you for... For the whole game, then we that was quite intense, and you nearly broke my back at the end when we celebrated. Um, <laughs> but I don't like, want to know what you do in your spare time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and towards the end of the game, to be honest, in the context of the game itself, and as in the way we played, we were quite lucky, in fact, in my opinion, to get away with a draw, although we did miss a penalty. But like, I don't think any of the teams on that day really deserved to win. But I agree. In 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 January, we were very inconsistent. It was and. Of course, it all comes off the back of Chris Martin, and I think the squad did feel a little bit unsettled as much as they made it feel like to us it was just a natural, okay, guys, I'm sorry about this, I'll carry on playing, and everyone moved on. I think it was a little bit more than, than them making it out to be. But at the same time, I will reiterate this because I said it at the point, I, I'm so glad that Jukanovic stood up to him and just went, you're here, you either play or you don't. We are not a train station. Yeah, we're not a train station. I'm not going to agree with the point that it was a good away day. It was awful. It's QPR. It's always awful. <laughs> it's always dreadful. It's, it takes a mission to get round to the lower end because you've got to go a really long way round. We drew 1-1, and I, after I went out that night, I was sleeping on Victoria Line for five hours. So I was just going round and round. <laughs> I highlight that if you come from the Uxbridge Road rather than Shepherd's Bush, it's actually quite easy. <laughs> well, what, what, I mean, why, why don't like Away day was my, featuring my, my problem, Dumb and Jack. My problem with the with any with the well, London away Dyer. days in between, like if, you, if it's Chelsea, if it's QPR, if it's Brentford, is that I just drink in the same pub as I would in a home game. Ah oh, no, see that's where you're going wrong, Tom. What you might <laughs> do is drink right in the heartland of QPR territory. <laughs> no, I just and the, I mean a pocket watch on Oxford Road. If I'm, I'd recommend. If I'm not going to Euston Kings Cross, like it doesn't feel like an away game to me. It just feels like the same. I have to use my Oyster card to get to it. It don't count. <laughs> at the rate it's going we'll have to use it at Reading yeah they're going to get it what would that be zone 9 cross rail <laughs> yeah luckily uh, you won't be getting your Oyster card out too much next season with all the northern away games uh, in the league uh, by and far allowed back in Mills ground it's the, uh, <laughs> it's the main question uh, by far and away the best team that we've faced this season I think were these boys what, Bristol Rotherham. City yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
An interesting day for Fulham. It was when uh, our form was starting to take off again. We had a brilliant 4-1 victory over Hull uh, in the FA Cup. Uh, I think which will go down most remembered for Bettinelli's heroics from the penalty spot. Uh, never seen anything like that ever again. Two penalties in a row like that. Both saves. I don't think... Uh, we'll ever see anything like that ever again. I think the best thing is just the commentary on BBC when this, the co-commentator is just laughing his head off when we give away <laughs> the second penalty. Mm. I mean, I was like, we haven't actually just given away a second penalty after just saving that one. And, but I think I celebrated the second penalty save more than any of the four goals. It was amazing. Yeah. But I mean, the Tottenham game, what annoyed me most is people were like complaining after we lost. I was like, we, we played, as it proved, the second best team in the country. And we yeah. played their first team side. Yeah, and why, like, why, why are you expecting us to not be funny, but even challenge? Yeah, and it was, it was really a crazy one. We had that false glimmer of hope that we thought they're playing away in the Europa League uh, the following Thursday or the previous Thursday? They played both the following and the previous Thursday. Yeah, whether it was, you know, they, you know, we kind of thought, right, they might put a weakened team out. And then a collective sigh of disappointment rang around the entirety of the southwest of London when the team sheet came out on Twitter <laughs> was you know it was audible um, and but Dom's quite quite right the 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 reaction that came out when we were blown away by an incredible Spurs team led by the one of the best players in the league in the Premier League at the moment Christian Eriksen um, who was just an absolute joy to watch and I don't I am I he no. ended Malone's career in that game. <laughs> yeah, that was it. He still was that. Game He's over, still mate. spinning in the Hammersmith end. Yeah. Don't but forget uh, Spurs' new signing, the ball boy, for the first goal. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. I hope that ball boy uh, didn't get another gig after that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something a bit more extreme then. I'm glad Died. you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going for. Sorry if the ball boy's dad or mum listens to the podcast. Another thing I heard people saying is that game, I was like, yeah, I just still don't rate Hurricane. I was like, literally, just scored a hat trick and he didn't even turn up. Do you know what the, the, that one of those things that sort of that divides some world class strikers from other strikers was his anticipation, especially for two of his goals, which was even before Kieran Trippier had even played the ball, he knew where he needed mm. to be straight away. Can we talk about the fact that Kieran Trippier is a much better right back than Carl Walker? We ain't got time. <laughs> <laughs> You've made Sorry, this po- isn't a Spurs podcast. So. It's true. You've made <laughs> your is it, this is not the fight. Yeah, big Cop, trans- Jack, you can yeah. go on that podcast if you want. To. Big transfer rumours, Jack to the Celtic podcast. Oh, God. It's, it's along not, with Andy Townsend. I'd like to commit Irish my people. long-term future to the Fulhamish podcast, if any Celtic, live on air. If any Celtic podcasts are uh, listening, we do have a big release fee for Jack. He is available. You have to pay, but he is available. Hey, I want to stay at the club. Stop <laughs> selling me off. This isn't Harry Redknapp and Ben Jarney. Leave <laughs> <laughs> me He's Ben Ben Jarney. Ben Jarman. I want to stay here, boss. I want to stay here, boss. Sammy, Sammy no, Redknapp. I love Manchester, Benji. You will love it. You will love it. <laughs> he's a solid talker, and he's great on the website as well. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's Sam, Sammy Redknapp and Ben Jarman selling you um, But back to league matters. Um, undoubtedly, one of the moments of the season. I absolutely love this reaction from the one and only Jeff Stelling. Oh, goodness me! It's been coming! And now it has come! He oh, went man. mental. I as did my we first Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> As did we all. TC, 94th minute. One of the most frustrating games of football I've ever watched. Uh, Leeds somehow going into the lead through Tim Ream's slice. Uh, a beautiful slice, if I, if I may say so. It was expertly done. Slice uh, of cake. Slice from Greg's, wasn't it? 
a steak, a maddle slice. (laughs) And then TC coming up with the bits, 94th minute. I mean, words can't express how good that felt at the time. And and one that we'll remember for a long time. Actions speak louder than words. I I had just come out of hospital after my knee surgery and I was up on the Johnny Haynes wall, crutch up in air, jumping up and down, celebrating that goal. I cracked my mate's ribs. During that goal, I think that's. But I, we were talking about it. I think at the time, like, what's the best? Is that the best celebrations in the, in the not Hampshire, but a whole Craven Cottage since like the Europa League season? Hundred percent, we agreed. Didn't we? Yeah, we agree. I said it was definitely it was the best scenes I've seen since uh, the Hamburg game. Yeah. But ju- just because how Leeds were just playing awful, and they were just being Leeds. Um, I don't know. I mentioned it, but I don't like Leeds. But um, I think. <laughs> Do you like anyone? Yeah. <laughs> you never talk about Leeds. I, I think the best thing about it is there's. If you watch the highlights with no commentary on it, you can just hear the Leeds fans shouting Leeds are going up in the background. And then Kenny just curls it in the top corner, made it sharp, and it's brilliant. And also, I swear at the close of play, there were 11 points ahead of us. They were. Yeah. yeah. And then we still finished five points ahead of them. That's a swing and a yeah. half, that. Yeah, Leeds falling that belongs, that belongs on a golf course, that <laughs> swing. <laughs> and speaking of uh, epic swings, this was uh, TC's effort against Newcastle. Shouts out David Preston, friend of the pod. We love it. Exactly. There was still more scenes to come in that game. I still think Cessnion's third. I've never Cessnion shushing fifty thousand yeah. Jordans. No, I've never been more confused when a goal's gone in. I was like, what is actually going on? Yeah, that was that was like disbelieving joy. <laughs> yeah, and the worst thing is usually, obviously, usually in the same, the, the stands go up to maybe like your knees or something. Like that. In Newcastle, it's not a thing. They stop at like your feet. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, when I was, and when I was going down at half-time, I was like, please don't score. I will literally end up going over the up, out of the upper tier, down. But yeah, it was that was definitely one of the best away games in a long, long time. I am still gutted that I didn't go to that away game. Because I, I, I was supposed to be coming press. back the same day as well, but I said in the morning, OK, if we win, I'm staying in the night. And it was, happened. Uh, walking around one of the like, most holiest chapels in Budapest, and I get my, my phone ringing. There's one of my mates telling us we've just won three one, and I'm so tempted to slide like knee slide down the middle of the altar <laughs> just to, like in front of everyone. It was unbelievable result. They like their football in Hungary. They'd have understood. Uh, Zongir is a god, isn't he? Exactly. So, there you go. Uh, and then, really, in April though, was when the run of the season started for Fulham, and no audio package uh, would be fit without this moment. Down, Piers on back to Aite, goes round the keeper, walks in. Fulham and it's Floyd Aite again. Absolute magic from Fulham. What a legend, gentlemen, Jim is. An amazing, amazing day. Ben, you were up there at that game. What a day. I put a tweet out last week and it's just like I would give anything to be back at that away day and just to relive the whole thing all over again. Like you don't. You, I don't think you really get better than that. You know, like a dream start after five minutes, you get one of the goals of the season from one of the players of the season. Thinking about it, he should have probably been in our goal of the season probably list. I don't know why he wasn't. I just. I, it's I not as good it. as his one against Reading. No, it's not. I, I his one against Reading is disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> that is unbelievable. In, he should have been put in jail. That was before the watershed and all sorts of kids about. <laughs> And then obviously we have the controversy of um, Martin being sent off for the, for the elbow, us going two 0 up with TC and the pen and the the, the brilliant knee slide um, and into the scenes of the crowd, 
Um, and then pulling one back, and Cameron Jerome, who just fucking loves to score against us, and then Aite taking it around us. And I've never seen, I don't really think I've ever seen Floyd smile because he doesn't do it that often, but just to see him and the rest of the team going absolutely mad in front of us. Because at, at Carrow Road, if you stand down the front, you can hear, you can see, you can feel everything. And luckily, I was probably only about four rows back, so for me, it felt like I was actually in there and part of it. And that is when I think we all stood up and, and we felt like, we could actually make the playoffs and we were a force to be reckoned with because we'd beaten Norwich, who we really were scared of because they had just thumped Reading 7-1 uh, or 7-0 and yeah. then um, we had thumped a couple of other playoff contenders around there. We'd won two games before that 3-1 and we'd go on to beat Huddersfield in, in the week after 4-1. And it, and it was about that time that we all started thinking, you know, this is it, this is our time, we're going to make it. So, you t you, as you mentioned on the red card of being controversial, I kind of think it was a godsend to our season, that. Because yeah. that made us go back to the strikeless formation, which, when Martin refused to play earlier in the season, didn't exactly work, but we perfected it mm -hmm. after this. And, I mean, the only, only issue I had with this away day was uh, the trains. Because there was no direct... Because yeah, was, was, was it Good Friday? No, it was um, they're building Crossrail at the moment, so they didn't. They oh didn't yeah, so off. so yeah, so you had to go like via Cambridge or via Ely, and I'm yeah. never going back to Ely ever again. That's shit off. There is nothing there. Slammed, right? And we moved on uh, during this epic run uh, to a great game up at what used to be known as the Gal Farm Stadium, now known as the John Smith Stadium, uh, and both sets of fans were singing this. Leeds, Leeds are falling apart again, and that's when. The wheels for Leeds really started to fall off and an unbelievable result. Considering now Huddersfield are a Premier League team, we played them off the park that day. Huddersfield didn't play badly, Fulham just played so, so well. It was, if you discount the first eight, nine minutes, Fulham were utterly dominant. Imperious. Um, yeah, Huddersfield were really good for those first ten minutes, don't get me wrong, but it showed our strength our character just to go, well, they're 1-0 up, let's just absolutely roll them over now. Because it was, a f it was one of the few times that before that point where we thought every chance is just going to go in. Even after, when Johansson went through, through on goal, I was like, oh, this is definitely going to go in. Because, you know, those three chances we had before then, goal, goal, goal. And then we were just totally comfortable. Huddersfield had one more chance after that in the second half and Fulham had a couple of chances. But we were comfortable and I think because of the crowd chanting Leeds, gonna fall, uh, Leeds are falling apart again and hearing that result come in was just absolutely beautiful that day. The weirdest thing is I thought it was safe to go down for a beer at 3-1. <laughs> and then I hear, a and I hear like a cheer. I was like, "We." That doesn't sound like you, Dom. I was like, "We haven't just scored a fourth. This, this, this is not in the first half. It this is never safe happening. to go for a beer, Dom. It, it's always safe to go for a beer, Dom. I think you need to perfect the art of being able to drink a beer in fifteen minutes." No, because I just don't. I can't move to queue. That's the issue. We tried this at Reading away in fairness, uh, and it didn't go well for either of us. We were like, we're not going to miss any of the game, and then I missed everything. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not the time to drink a beer. I have an issue with. It's, I don't want to queue. So if I go down early, I have to queue less. Steph Joe was absolutely unbelievable that day. He literally like gobbled up, man. He gobbled up the entire Huddersfield midfield and just, you know, spat them out for fun. And then also had a bit of a go at all of them as well. Had a little bit of a yap at, yeah. a yap at Hogg. Had a bit of a yap at Chris Lerver at left back as well. It was all, it was all a bit mad. That's not, not like Steph, but he was unbelievable. The whole day. day was completely mad. The whole day was mad. The team were mad. 
Johansson was mad. We were mad. Johansson turned into N'Golo Kante for about, you know, 15 minutes, but he could also score. Mm. It was madness. He was everywhere. Like, he was literally everywhere for the last 20 minutes of the first half. He was everywhere. He was in your dreams as well. He's been in my dreams for a lot longer than just the 20 minutes at the end of that Huddersfield (laughs) half hour. (laughs) I also saw someone with the best Fulham retro shirt I've seen in a while. It was a really old goalkeeper shirt. But the, cl- was, but the club badge, I think it was a goalkeeper shirt, it was either that or a training shirt, but the club badge was like on the sleeve. Was, and it, like, was and it Jim Stannard? <laughs> it, it might have been, I can't remember. It, it was his girlfriend wearing it. And I was like, that is one of the best red shirts I've seen in a long while. And you I should have stopped him and asked. I don't know, I was too drunk by that point. No, I right. care, so... Legit. Well, if you if you own that shirt, and it's it's a little bit of a vague description that uh, Dom has given, but it's like uh, a red red and black on the chest, and then the, the club badge is on the front. The club badge from the eighties. Uh, Get in touch, uh, and then uh, we went into the playoffs. We drew against Brentford to assure our place, uh, and we went into the first leg against Reading, uh, and someone we know took this particular video. Not sure what was happening at the end of that particular <laughs> clip. And that was just me hugging you. Also, I like my first shout. I, I shout yes before the crowd goes nuts, which is my favourite part. Like, so I think, which I was just really confident about Kenny's heading ability. In, in hindsight, <laughs> I love. Not I, sure what I was on about. I, love, <laughs> I think the best thing is it comes from an absolutely dreadful Scott Malone cross. So if, it, if Scott Malone wasn't so bad at crossing the ball, we would never have scored. It's definitely <laughs> a shot. It's a shot come cross. Scott Malone oh. loved those, uh, but unfortunately, the season did end in pain, and guys, we have to listen to it, I'm sorry. Oh, interesting, there was certainly a shout for handball, and he has given it. Nothing is guaranteed with these two sides and penalty kicks. But that's spot on from Jan Kermigant, and how much can it mean for Reddit? It wasn't spot on in the final though, was it, mate? Bottle job. Yeah. I, know, I know you score, but it's still bottle job, man. <laughs> Even now, I, I still think to myself, go on, Ben, and I get your hand on it, and it just, just goes under him. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a terribly sad way to end the season, but kind of as we come to the end of our season overview that we've done, and we've done this for a lot longer than I planned, it's been, um, it's been interesting. It was still an amazing journey to get to that day. It was just such a shame it just didn't go on for one game longer. I mean, I think, the, I think the best thing about the season for me was the amount of away games we won. No, just because, like, <laughs> it gets, it's painful going every week and watch us just getting battered and shit out by all these random teams who I don't really care about. Our away form, our away record was better than our home record. I think yeah, we it won, was. Yeah, we, we, won, we, we won 12 away and yeah, we 10 did, at yeah. home. We, we won 12 and uh, drew four, and we were second in the away table only behind Newcastle. We scored something like 40 goals away from home, which um, translates in Dom's eyes to two. <laughs> yes, yes, but no, I, I think the only game I missed a good amount of goals in was the Barnsley game. So we'll you know. come on to this. Hang on, I've got a question about this later, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll come up with this later. Okay, well, um, that is the end of part one of our season review. Uh, but do go download part two. Uh, we've got lots of great stuff coming up. We've got the Fulhamish Big Fat Quiz of the Year, and we've also got the Fulhamish End of Season Awards to give out as well. And obviously. A little end-of-season montage. We couldn't end without an end-of-season montage. So go download part two. It should be ready to download right now. Go do it. Turn tape over.